Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. We are just a month away from a Welsh budget set in the backdrop of the end of EU funding, of levelling up and of the increased cost of living. But over the last few days, the much-discussed cooperation deal between Plaid Cymru and the Welsh Government has been trailed, and today it has finally arrived. Joining us tonight to talk about the Welsh budget and the impact of the cooperation deal on our economy and the rest of Welsh politics, we are joined by Victoria Winkler, Director of the Bevan Foundation. Hello, Victoria. Hello there. And Mark Cooper, founder of the Cooperative Co-working Spaces IndieCube and current Bank Cambria developer and lead, and of course, one of our much-favoured, many-appearing guests, and back, finally, in his rightful place atop our appearance leadership board, is Mark Cooper. Hello, Mark. Hi, Matt. Thanks for that. I'll <laughs> not moan anymore, ever, again. <laughs> Gemma Beers, just text me. Just... <laughs> She's going to bribe you, she said. <laughs> so we lured you here under slightly false pretenses, which was to talk about the economy and the Welsh budget. But today we've finally seen the announcement of the cooperation, cooperation deal between Labour and Plaid. Victoria, I know that a number of the areas that the Bevan Foundation have been campaigning on the last few years have been announced today in this document. You must be pleased to see some of these areas finally being looked at by Welsh Government, things as rent control, increased childcare provision and increased provision of free school meals. We're certainly very, very welcome um, to, to see the, the some of these proposals in the agreement. I think some of them are potentially really, really helpful responses to the pressures that people face. So the, it's the cost of living measures that we welcome the most. So I think the, the provision of free school meals to all primary school children actually goes further than some of what we've been arguing for. Um, the childcare one, let's see, you know, the devil's in the detail with that. Um, and also about rent. Um, I think we'd say, first of all, that we recognise that affordability of rent, particularly in the private rent sector, but also in the social sector, is welcome. I think the jury's out on exactly what's going to come forward in, in, in due course, as talk about a white paper, for example. But I think certainly the headline stuff is very welcome. Mark, there's some pretty radical aspects to this agreement. They must appeal to you. <laughs> I, think it's a, I think it's a really interesting start, actually. I think it should be welcomed. It's interesting that, uh, you know, next weekend, Clyde members get a chance to actually vote on it, which I think so shows the democracy of the party as well, whereas Labour have been told what to, what to do. But uh, that aside, I think this is really good. I think Clyde should be pleased particularly given their performance in the Senate elections, that so many of their policies have made this agreement. But the critical thing for me now is, is delivery, because the one thing that has always, I think, dogged the, you know, the, the Senate since it started is delivery, particularly on the things that are bigger ticket items. So, you know, none of this, I, I think, you know, there's a, there'll be a broad support across many, but it's interesting, I, I saw Jane Dodds earlier saying she welcomed parts of it. So you can just you can just get the sense that this is a, a progressive um, Senate that we've got ahead of us. But I think the key thing now is to make sure it gets delivered. The, the interest in having spads, two spads in government, I think that's, they'll have to be good. I think there'll have to be people who can make change happen. And I feel that, you know, if, if we get those wrong, we'll end up reviewing these three years and so, with a lot of white papers, you know, and Victoria's point about rent controls, it's, it's, it's important to be there, but the only provision in this is there'll be a white paper. 
we could we could write a white paper between the five of us now and there you, you've got it you know that's probably not good enough but you know as a general thing this is a really good start and it shows a boldness of purpose so you talk about this being needing to be ratified by applied members what's your understanding of the feeling within both parties and party memberships about this deal so i think this will get overwhelming approval implied so i've said that i'll support it on twitter when i go on there um and i've had um, as many people labor councillors and senate members like those tweets as i've had five members so i think there is a general i think they see this as an important step forward what I think is interesting is that this is a, it's much more than a budget deal, which is, I think, what most people were expecting, given the, the time of year and the, the need to get the budget through the Senate. It is a, a much fuller programme for government and one that I think knocks the spots off the one that we had uh, last June, July, which was really very modest and very much more of the same. I think in fairness to the Welsh Government, they now know how much money they've got to play with, whereas they didn't pre-election. And therefore, you know, knowing how much cash there was probably contributed to the manifesto and then the programme for government being very cautious indeed. What this does, though, is it you can see the two agendas coming together. And I think that's that's really positive. So you can see the, the social justice agenda coming forward with a range of universal or dis redistributive proposals, but you can also see a concern with nation building, which is absolutely right, concern with the language, and some very interesting stuff, I mean, about which we don't know very much, things like the National Construction Company, the National Energy Company. How are those going to work? Those, If they get those right, they're potentially transformative, they could equally just be um, a document that sits on a shelf. So, so we shall see on that. But uh, I think it's quite interesting in terms of the, the process. There was, um, it's almost like a coming together also in to defend the devolution settlement against what some might see as external attacks. We know that most people, I think, in the, the what we'll call the bubble have been quite supportive of this agreement. But Mark, I saw some comments from you earlier talking about how this deal would be taken in sort of UK Labour uh, circles and in sort of by the Welsh Labour MPs. How do you think that circle is going to be square between this quite radical agenda and the agenda that Keir Starmer is trying to push, which is much more sort of centre ground? And what do you kind of reaction do you expect from Welsh Labour MPs to this deal? Well, it's not centre ground when you bring in David Blunkett into your fold to talk to you about social justice issues and things like that. You know, Keir Starmer isn't taking the central ground position with some of his appointments. I think this is really, really interesting. And I hear that some Welsh Labour MPs aren't too happy with this. They weren't consulted on this deal. So I think there is some, you know, there's some fr fraction there. But I think the fraction, the, the friction, sorry, should be more about with Keir Starmer and, and the, the central UK leadership. You know, the messaging today from Starmer's CBI talk and Drakeford and Price's collaborative agreements, they couldn't be they couldn't be further from each other. I, I saw somebody, I think it was John McDonnell talked about um, clear red water between Welsh Labour and the Tories. And some wag, Rob Lloyd, who's been on a few times, said, no, it's the clear red water between 
Welsh Labour and UK Labour. And I think that's a it's it's back there. There's a there's a clear difference. And you know, if you take the thought, so I think it was Alan Davis who said a few weeks ago that uh, Keir Starmer hadn't been in touch with the Welsh Labour Party as much as he wanted to. I think there's there's division there quite clearly. But you know, what we should worry about is that is the concerns that we've got in Wales, the issues we've got in Wales, and actually policies that go some way to address them. Whether they go all the way, I, I share Victoria's um, you know initial concerns, and I agree with their observations. I think. You know, whether it actually happens is another thing. You know, we should worry about the things that are on our doorstep and, and where we can try and solve them. Now, some of this, I, I would imagine that some of these issues will start to come, come across wider UK policy, and that'll be interesting as well. So we'll see more interplay between UK government and Welsh government as this, as this progresses. But we've got a bunch of that already, haven't we? You know, we've got a UBI pilot that the UK government is dead set against. Department of Works and Work and Pensions do not want to see this thing happen. So there's a we've already set up within the Welsh government some you know areas of, of friction between us and, and UK government. And that's you know that's fascinating. And it just says to you, is there a, you know, has Mark Drakeford found his this is his moment and this is what he's going to do before he retires? You know, he's found this boldness and he's going to take advantage of it. We'll get on to UBI in a little bit later in more detail um but victoria do you, do you think that this could have the potential to cause any sort of policy tension between uk and welsh labor or is it just the nature of devolution that people disagree i really don't know i don't take much interest in the mechanics of the uk labor party i must admit and in many ways it doesn't matter um the Bevan foundation is interested in um improving people's lives in wales and that's, that's where we focus. And Mark has the powers, he has the mandate, and, you know, let, let's see. I mean, as I said earlier, what we're interested in is making sure this delivers on the ground. Three years to get universal free school meals for primary children is actually quite a long time. It's quicker than the Scottish government's been in delivering that commitment, but it's still a long wait if you're the poor child who doesn't get his free dinner and for, for another 35 months. So there's still a lot more to do, but we should also recognise that on some of these issues, the Welsh government has been one of the worst in the UK. We've had some of the, we've had the least generous school meals provision in the UK. So some of these things are long overdue and it's a, you know, if, if I was to be brutally honest, I really don't care what the UK Labour Party thinks, or indeed anyone else in the UK. We've got the powers, let's just do it. Fight and talk, I like that. More of this. <laughs> well, what do you think's in it for either of these parties? Because, you know, this kind of level of cooperation perhaps wasn't expected pre the election. There's a, there's a very good clip of Adam speaking to ITV Wales before the election. We wouldn't support a, 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 we wouldn't support a Labour government, uh, you know, under any circumstances, a Labour-led administration under any circumstances. We're, look, where I'm... So this is not one of those moments where we're going to go in the archive in a couple of months' time and get it out and say, you said this! Which is now a little bit uh, out of context. But also, Labour are now supporting policies which they previously voted down, Clyde have uh, presented. And Mark Drakeford said today that uh, we don't have a monopoly on good ideas and we want to work with progressive parties with common interests, which is one of the best lines we've had in 20 years of devolution. Victoria, have you got any thoughts on what's driving both parties to work together like this? I think on, on one level, I mean, I, I 
don't know about and I don't particularly want to, back to comment on the, the internal politics within each party. But I think what's very clear is people in Wales are facing a crisis like I haven't seen probably since the early 80s in different forms, but it's around being able to make ends meet and have access to the services that people need, particularly in terms of health. And I think it would be almost eye-wateringly remiss of any party that cares about those things, let alone parties that claim to have radical credentials, not to do something about, about the looming crisis. I think that's almost certainly one driver, and, and rightly so, given the challenges and the direction of politics elsewhere in the UK, it's not unreasonable to expect parties with similar values and similar concerns to cooperate. I'm not remotely surprised, despite what both parties said pre-election, the maths always mean that some kind of agreement needs to be needs to be reached. And, and right from the beginning, you know, Labour did not have a majority enough to get key things over the line, whether it's the bud budget or legislation, they need that cooperation. Now they can either do it on a case by case basis, which is wearying and doesn't give the government the confidence, or they can do it like this. Um, we've seen it before. I thought the One Wales Agreement that I, I played a part in at the time was a similarly progressive marrying of social justice and and um, concerns about nation and identity. And I, I hope that, you know, for all its weaknesses, which we might come on to, I, I hope that this is a way forward and gives some stability as well. Can I just pick up on that? But, you know, I remember listening to Mark Drakeford being interviewed by you, Matt, when he said he was prepared to work with uh, the party. So I don't think this is any surprise from Mark Drakeford's perspective. I think he's He's always been someone who would um, look to seek those types of arrangements. He was involved previously, and I think he was, that doesn't surprise me at all. So I think, you know, Adam was also at the time, you know, running a presidential campaign where he was trying to set himself up to be first minister. And I think, you know, that's the, the difference. And I don't, you know, if you looked at the two manifestos and at the manifestos, you know, I remember doing the manifesto review on this podcast. And I think the one that stood out, you know, that's got some of these items in, Kerry will be pleased, to, you know, is that it was the Green Party manifesto. That has a, a number of things that fell across these, which I think is, is good. But given the policy alignment, we shouldn't be surprised by this. And I, I agree with Victoria. I think that, you know, it would be remiss of anybody who wanted to see change in Wales not to want to make it happen. So you have to do these sorts of deals. I think in, in a large Senate, which is what we'll be talking about, hopefully, at the next election, deals will be the norm. So this could be a way of, you know, cementing a bolder, more radical, um, progressive deals going forward. And I, so I think I think that's all quite quite interesting. I think the other thing is that you know the thing that's surprising and would have been easier would have been had um, Mark Drakeford just reached over to Jane Dodds and said, "Will you come like in the same way as he did with Kirsty?" And I think it's quite interesting that Jane was the one, by all accounts, who said no to that because she wanted to you know find her feet in the senate and and work out where you know her party is given that she's just one person so i think that's given that kirsty there was history with kirsty i think that's quite an interesting development but I, you know i'm not surprised i think that you know, drakeford did what he said on this on this podcast so there you go 
do, do you think it's a realistic program of delivery? It, it's a very long in total list of kind of areas to work on, which I'm sure some of the civil servants in Gutes Park are beginning to sweat about already about how you deliver this. Do you, do you think it's realistic to get this area? I think you you mentioned about it. Some of them are quite weak, Victoria. You know, what, what's the take on what everything that's being put together here? Well, I would very much hope officials are busy working on a, a rather large Gantt chart, but um, let, let, let's see. I think there is a risk that some of the one-liners will just get kicked into the long grass or be dealt with tokenistically. I think that's a shame because I think some of the one-liners are potentially really interesting. But I think it's inevitable that the focus will be on the, on the headline grabbing stuff like the free school meals, like the free childcare. Um, we've all done this, or I have anyway, have come up with uh, one-line ideas and people go, okay, so what do you mean by that? And he's like, oops. <laughs> so you have to quickly go to the drawing board. And I suspect that there are some things in here like that. I, I don't know that, but they, they have the feeling of that. And, and you know, in, in any, I haven't counted them up, but I mean, in, in any document, I suspect there's probably, well, a very long list of, of proposals there. It's about priorities, isn't it? It's about choosing the ones that really matter and really make a difference, and uh, the ones the ones that don't. But this is also on top of the program for government, so this is this is additional stuff. You know, you can't see this in isolation on top of the other things that are already there that they wanted to deliver. So I think this is a there's a lot being packed in to this term. You know, my and a very political party political, but thinking about who takes over from Mark Drake, but it's quite an important thing as well, because he's making the ground very difficult for some people, I would say. I think this ground is being prepared for someone who agrees very much with Mark Drakeford's way of working. So I think that's quite an interesting thing, because these things can't be rolled back on. Once you give out, once you have universal school meals for primary school children, you can't go back and say, we're going to cut that. You know, that Thatcher, Thatcher, Milk Snatcher will get back to the state. Whoever does that will always be remembered. Oh, no, they became prime ministers, didn't they? Um, so maybe it's, I don't know. But you look at these things, you think some of this is is big ticket stuff that, that sets a legacy in some ways, but it also, it creates a, a momentum that needs to be built on. You know, we've introduced the concept of universalism into this agenda now, which I think is really important. Where does that go next? How do we start to say, you know, if child hunger is something that we will not countenance, then surely, you know, you know, we cannot countenance poverty with a, you know, an averagely wealthy part of the sixth biggest economy in the world. These are things that we can solve if we choose to. It's that sort of level of discourse I think we need to we need to have. And, I, you know, I think if we can start to build a, a bolder, more radical political class in Wales, I think that will that will start to set some of these these things off but I think it'll also create the tension between us and the UK and you know and where does this leave you know if Scotland this is starting to set a tone for me that if Scotland disappears you're starting to get some tone that this is not an England and Wales shire thing this will not stick if we are just an appendage to the UK so all of, I think this is a we're in fascinating political times but the thing is and Victoria, you talked about the One Wales document as well, and you also referenced that this is a, this is a scarier place than it was then. You know, we're in we're in much more con confusing, 
concerning, worrying times. So we need to be much more radical. And that will push the tension of the current devolved settlement without doubt. Mark, just building on what you just said, you know, I think Adam said in the press release today that it is um, an agreement to step in stone to independence. And there's the creation of a number of national institutions here, which we can argue can be the backbone of that. Um, you know, I, I think you've just explored that in some way. But Victoria, did you have any thoughts on on that? Do you see it moving in that direction or am I reading too much into it? I, I think there's some interesting flyers that are in the small print. They're little kites that have been let loose. Um, one is around um, the devolution of welfare. Now, the, the, of the administration of welfare. Now, that has been a big no-no for certain people in the Welsh Government on the grounds that it would, it would involve them um, having to implement sanctions against people for various reasons. That's gone. There's a mention in here about exploring that. And I think that is a real marker between about how, you know, it's a line that's now being crossed. Universal well, working age social security has always been seen as a um, the glue that holds the union together, blah, blah, blah. And suddenly now they're talking about the administration of that. And once you start down that path, um, in having some of the sorts of flexibilities that are there in Scotland then you can begin to see a recognition that, that that glue is perhaps not as sticky as you thought it might be. Now, I mean, I think there's a whole lot of other issues around the devolution of welfare that you would need to have in place before you took on a whole scale shift. But I think um, there are a number of, of markers like that in the document where you can see the, as I said, the, the glue getting less sticky. I know we've talked about this being perhaps just a wish list of, of possibilities, but is there anything on your own personal wish lists that isn't here that you think should be? I've got a massive list. <laughs> um, what, what we have to start with is where the acute problems are in Wales. So I think child poverty has got to be one of the places, and I think that's why this provision of school meals is so important. But I think you need to go further. You know, child in poverty is part of a family that are in poverty. You know, we have far too many people who are in poverty in Wales. We're in, we have inequality in our country. It's not as wide inequality as you see in other places, but we still have um, inequality that's pretty marked. So I think you've got, there's a bunch of, this is a, this is a preloaded, I think this is a starting point for change. I think that, and I go back to a point I made at the very start. I think this is all about delivery. If you can make the, if you can deliver some of these things, you will create a momentum because everything about our current, even, even within the current devolved settlement, because if you make things work and they work well, you carry the people with you and then you will get the powers. What you've got to do is make sure these things work and work well. And I think that's where, if I have a concern with that, it's that we will either do a poor job, a non-job, or a you know, tokenistic approach with some of these things. If we do that, we deserve to fail with it. The, the politicians involved in it deserve to fail with it. And I think it will put Wales back. The opportunity is delivery. Get the delivery right, and then you can move on to other things. And I, as I said as well, I think this has got to be seen in, in conjunction with the programme for government as it sits at the moment, which has, I think, a number of issues that I think are you know, worthwhile. I think, you know, and Victoria and I disagree on, on, the, on basic income, but it, you know, we've, it's things like that 
that have at least started to you know to turn the dial in the on the way of actually we're going to be a different sort of Wales than we were when we just accept what we're being given. And I I fully agree. I think that um, you know once you start on taking you know, challenging the primacy of the DWP, you are in big. The world has changed territory then, and that opens up a, a load of things as well. So, you know, it's a starting point. But, um, you know, if anyone wants to sign my four-day week petition, they're welcome to do that. I think there's, there's, there's two big things. I think in the short term, I think it's really disappointing that there's nothing there for older children and young adults. By the end of this three-year programme, the educational maintenance allowance, which is offered to learners over 16 to 18 year olds who are in school or in further education, that rate has will have been frozen for 20 years. I can't think of any other sort of um, grants or allowance that has stayed frozen for that long, let alone under a government that claims it's progressive. So I think in the short term, there are there are some real still holes in 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 the program um, and quite worrying ones at, at that because we know that um, poor 16 to 18 year olds go on to um, do all sorts of things that maybe they shouldn't be doing at that age and we also know that the labour market's really tough for them as well. I think longer term I don't see as much as I would like about major changes in the economy and around the quality of work. Now, I know we've got some proposals in the programme for government around fair work, but those are progressing at an absolute snail's pace. We need to see more. So there's nothing here about living wage. There's nothing here about reduced working hours, whether that's a 35-hour week or a 30-hour week or a four-day week, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's nothing here about, you know, perhaps doing something radical about around sick pay, some sort of devolved scheme that we've advocated. So there's the fundamentals of redistribution before people end up without enough money in their pocket. I think there's scope to do more there. Now, this may it may well be that this is not quite the right place for those kinds of uh, kinds of things. This is a practical agreement about the deliverables, isn't it? But I think to see nothing about fair work is is nothing about business recovery after COVID, nothing about the valleys and rural Wales, a bit disappointing. Can I just jump in there? Because I think this is where this could lead to something different. This is surely as well, so that so governments aren't static, policies aren't static. What you would hope is that the people who've cemented this um, these decisions also go on to think about where the, where the next decisions are gonna be made. Because after three years, Let's assume all this gets delivered. How do you continue to become a progressive force? And what I would hope is that there's some active engagement in thinking. And you know, we have we have too few think tanks in Wales. We're too too few people actually considering policy from a Welsh context. And we need more engagement, more more active con con consideration by um, the just general population as well. What things matter. And I would hope that this is just a starting point because if they, and, and it's again, delivery, 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 they've got to make sure, making reference to, you know, fair work being something that is moving at a snail's pace, that is what will kill this deal. 
that is what will make it not work is when we, we if we review it in three years time and we say you know this didn't work fast enough this didn't work well enough this didn't even happen as soon as we're saying things like that i think it will it will fail because i'd like you know on things like fair work we need to have a better conversation about our relationship with work generally you know why is it that it forms us why is it that it defines what we are and i think it's great for people like people on this call who may love what we do but for a lot of people who don't it's a very debilitating experience when work is such an important part of everyone's lives so i you know i would like wales to be a place where we can talk about those sort of things where we can welcome automation with open arms so that we can take the drudgery out of some of the work and the danger out of some of the work that we do that's the stuff i'd like us to to start thinking about and that fits you know there is a challenge in this which is one of those again this is a one line which i think makes could make all different you know could be really interesting about moving our client you know our net zero ambitions forward by 15 years to do that you have to be much more radical much bolder much faster and actually you have to lose some of those things that you try won't work so you'd have to be people who are prepared to take risks and I just wonder whether, you know, Mark Drake, given that he's not going to be here for the long term, is a, is a politician now who thinks I can take risks. You know, I can do some of these things. I wonder how many people in on his benches were aware when he first knocked on Adam's door. I, don't, I may not have been that many. We've discussed a lot about the policies that are being looked at, but one area which is, is quite high profile, and I think many of us would agree quite important, is the governance side of things. And the work they're going to look at in the Senate, and uh, you know, potential for expanding the number of uh, MSs, equality aspect, uh, the gender equality aspect in law. Like, what, what do you think of that side of the, the cooperation agreement? Right. So I think there are important questions about the capacity of the Senate. Moves to increase the numbers need to be uh, sat alongside a critical look at making better use of the Senate members that we have. I am not advocating um, long sittings like we have in Westminster, but I think there are some Senate members where the burdens are perhaps somewhat lighter than than others. You know, two days of of formal business committees. I I think to to persuade the, the electorate that this is not expanding the gravy train, there needs to be perhaps a cold, hard look at some of what they do. I'm going to make myself extremely unpopular with that comment. That's not to say I don't, I don't, I'm not disagreeing with expanding the Senate, but I think it it, it has to be part of a, 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 a deal, if you like, you know, a, a politician and electorate deal. Um, gender equality is, of course, important, but there are other aspects of equality as well, which tend to get forgotten um, and I would include ethnicity and disability in there as well. We need to have a diverse Senate. Personally, I'm not sure about legislation except that all other methods have failed, so yeah. Mark, do you want to comment on that? Like One of the things that has been raised, I think Victoria mentioned there, the link between the Senate and the voters. Do you think those kind of changes should be at a referendum level? No, I don't think they should. It should be a referendum. I think we need to just get on and do it. I take. I think it needs to be sold to the electorate. I agree with that. Uh, but that that can be done. Uh, there's a couple of things in there. So there's 
I think that we, we need to raise the quality bar. How that happens is, a, is one thing. But we also need to make sure that people understand what they do in our Senate, you know, health, education, still be, I, we've only just, I think the, the pandemic has for once and uh, for once and for all actually clarified that we run the health service in Wales. But it, you know, prior to that, people still thought that the uh, UK health minister was running our health service. So I think these are things that we just, there is a sales job that needs to, to happen and the case needs to be made. But I don't think a referendum will help anyone. I don't want to, you know, the only referendum, next referendum I want to do is an Indie Wales one. Thanks very much. I'm not interested in any of this. In terms of, you know, how we get a more diverse centre, I think that's, that's critical. And if other ways don't work, you have to, uh, you have to mandate it. Uh, it's really important. We need a centre that has people in it who look and sound and have the same experiences as me and others and everyone else has. Otherwise, you just don't get the uh, you don't get the representation. I would love to see more people with more skills there. I'd love to see people who've you know. I think there's there's an opportunity with an enlarged senate to completely change the way we we do things. It would be great if the best Labour politicians didn't think of Westminster as being the place that they need to go. That's the that's where I think we would have made our mark when people start to realise that the place to be is, is Wales and making the key decisions closer to home because the amount of times that Johnson you know, called, uh, the e if we were part of the EU, part of a vassal state, you know, the more and more I see Westminster is just a vassal state. It is just a, it's a, it's a hodgepodge of didgeridodgery, you know, listening to Johnson's speech to the CBI today, if anyone caught that, it, it's remarkable. Peppa Pig is the thing you'll remember for it. This is the guy who's supposed to be running our country, and it's just, I think it shows the, the level we're at there. So, yeah. Going back to the economy, the reason we tricked you both on, we know that the Welsh budget will be laid in front of the Senate in about a month's time, but going back a couple of weeks, what was your assessment of the UK government spending review and the sort of supplementary announcements about levelling up funds, Victoria? I think the UK budget review was, comprehensive spending review was extremely disappointing. The boosterist talk bore no relationship to the reality that most of us live in. And it was like two stories. So you heard Sunak on the one hand, we were watching it in the office, and then you go and read the document and you see it, it, it's just very different. You look at the OBR's forecasts and and. That I mean, that in itself, I think, is really worrying. The kind of the the, the the rhetoric doesn't match the reality. is is a serious disconnect that that we should be quite concerned about. But but it didn't address some of the big issues. I mean, people have really, really been hit hard in the pandemic. People's incomes have been shot to pieces. Their health has been damaged. The economy, their businesses have been closed. And it was like, oh, great, we're all back to normal. Well, we aren't back to normal. We, st we still, um, the headline number of jobs might be at a UK level, but there are large chunks of Wales where we still aren't back to normal levels of employment, whatever you might think of that, Mark, but we're still not back there. We still have well above the pre-pandemic number of claimants and people are really struggling with the cost of living. And I just did not see that reflected. I think the stuff around who who's, bearing the tax burden was also quite alarming. What is really unusual, though, is that we had a UK government, a Conservative government, that was taxing so big 
um, spending quite heavily too. Yeah, this was all about a presenteeism, wasn't it? So it was all about presenting a rhetorical, th this is where we think we are and we'll, we'll all get there in the end. And, you know, we use really trite sound bites, leveling up being the classic one. You know, there is no intention of really making those differences. You know, that what they're looking for is something that they can build quickly, put a badge on it, um, and therefore it will look good. Well, we know that putting a badge on things doesn't actually doesn't actually work. The amount of times that, you know, we could travel through the South Wales Valleys and look for that blue sign with all the little stars on it and realise that didn't work. So, you know, if that's the way they're going to do things, I think they're, they're, gonna, they're failing. But I also, you know, it, it is a um, an indictment of Westminster, how, how actually separated the United Kingdom is in terms of, you know, the one thing that some people have done very well during the pandemic. So those with have accelerated their savings. You know, they were able to do well out of the time during the pandemic because those without the people who are in the more vulnerable jobs, the people who are having to, you know, especially in the early stages, go face to face with people with COVID, catch it. That there was a definite class differential between the, the impact on the, the pandemic. And there's no way, in my view, that the, the Conservative government in Westminster will want to solve that. So it is just rhetoric. What I find fascinating is, you know, not just with the um, budget, but post-budget, especially with HS2 the other day, you're starting to get red wall, as they're called, Tory MPs going, hold on, I won an election based on all of this stuff. And now you're, you're hanging me out to dry because none of this is reality. And I think you're going to start to see some fight back from them because actually, you know, if you if you characterise them, they're not typical Tories. They're not people who are earning um, multi-million pound jobs working in the British Virgin Isles. These are people who actually intended to be MPs. And, you know, th th their politics may be different to my politics, but I think they, you know, in a large extent, they wanted to do, they probably wanted to do a good job. And now they're just being left there going, like, there's nothing that I can defend from the way this government is now moving things forward. So, you know, I think they're going to have an interesting time. Can Johnson keep the show on the road is probably the interesting thing. And, uh, you know, today he was asked, are you all right? Because he's just starting to fray at the edges. The problem is, is that anyone take, with a little bit of memory realises he's been frayed at the edges ever since he came onto the political scene. This is his way of working so you know i'm not convinced that the the public will lose faith with him which is the reason that the tories want to keep him so you know we're, we're stuck with that but that's i think the interesting um, perspective i think there is tension it's not come to the service yet but there's tension in the conservative party um i think this uh, bill that's is it tonight or tomorrow the javid's health and social care bill that's got some dissenters within the Tory party, that'll be interesting to see whether they come to the fore. And su supposedly, a lot of those are from these northern red wall seats. So we shall see. So one of the areas we wanted to bring you on tonight uh, was to talk about the Welsh budget. And we're coming to the end of the pod, so we're not going to get too much into the detail of the, the Welsh budget. But building on that question about the spending review and the money which has come into Wales, it's a Christmas budget. 20th of uh, December, I think. Where, where do you think they're going to be Welsh Christmas presents? Is it going to be shoring up the Welsh NHS, which is pretty much traditionally over half the, the Welsh government budget? Or do you think there's going to be other areas which we're going to start spending money on? I think 
we will see the health budget continue to take a large chunk of spending. And I think that's right, because the num the waiting lists, um, the experiences that people are having tell us that something urgent needs to be done. Chucking more money at the problem is not the only answer, but whatever solutions there are do take more money. Um, I hope we start to see some expenditure on the areas that are outlined in the cooperation agreement. It would be really nice if some kids started getting a free meal in February, January, February. That would be great. Um, and certainly we should see a, a good number start getting it, their free school meal post, um, po post April. I would also still like to see funding earmarked for recovery. We still have people in acute financial hardship. We still have businesses that have not bounced back, to use a, um, a Boris term. The big unknown is how much wriggle room the Welsh Government has got. The analysis suggested that actually the Welsh Government has not done too badly. Um, it's not austerity time, but equally it's not, um, it's not spending time either. So I think we'll see health. I hope we see a bit in education and free school meals. I hope we begin to see some movement on childcare and social care as well. But let's see. Mark, what presence you hoping to see? I'd endorse all that. I think the other thing is about how do we work towards changing the way our economy works. So that COVID has, has changed it without um, our decision. We haven't. It's just happened to us. How do we make the most of that? How do we start to embed some of these different ways of working into the way we do? Because I think, you know, the other thing is that, and you know, not trying to put a doom um, say around it, but we're still in the midst of a, of COVID. We still have people who are catching it and dying from it. Today, we have people who feel less confident in doing the things that they used to do. I think confidence level of activity is still um, quite concerning. Uh, so I think there's, there is some way to go on that. They have to do something on putting some more money into health onto waiting lists. That's you know, otherwise the they'll they'll deal with the headlines all the way through next spring. So that has to be um, something that happens. The specifics, I think it'd be great to start to see us rethinking, you know, really generally rethinking how our economy can work and and should work. And you know, hopefully we've moved away from FDI type deals and things like that so hopefully we're going to start to see more you know the foundational economy despite it changing um minister is still something von Gethin still talked about that that'll be interesting to see whether that continues and whether it's allowed to flourish i'm not sure that we've actually understood that sector properly to be to be frank but i think it's where you know there's a lot of opportunities there there's a lot of you know making sure that we do the local stuff more better um, and more frequently, how do we make those things work? The idea around circular economy, you know, these are things that we have to do. You know, we can be, we'll be forced into it if we're not careful. And, you know, I think this is how do we start to make those changes now, which is the critical thing. And a part of that, I think, is without sounding too trite, a lot of it's about marketing the ideas properly. Because if you, if we all, went out now and just walked down the streets and said, you know, tell me about the foundational economy. People go, what? You know, they wouldn't understand the words that are being used. So we need to find a different way of, of having those conversations. This budget may well be not an austerity budget, but I think the way that 
uh, Sunak was talking about the future, you know, we could start to see purses tightening in years two, three, four and five. So I think those are the ones which should um, concern us. And, you know, how do we make sure that we can be best insulated for what's coming down the line as well? So, Mark, you've talked about changing the way our economy works. When we first talked to you back a year and a half ago on one of our first ever episodes of this show, you talked about the need for a radical look at the way the economy works and to change that. We've seen in this Senate term the Welsh Government engage in discussions about a universal basic income. We've seen a debate recently from Hugh Anker Davis on a Welsh Macora law for employee-owned businesses and a, a certain petition for a four-day working week. Do you expect this economic radicalism to form a major part of the economic discussion of this Senate term? And do you think it should? Quite obviously, I'd say I think it should. Yeah. Do, I think it, do I think it will? I'm unconvinced on that. And primarily because I'm not sure that the economy minister get, you know, is, that's where his heart is. I'm not sure of that. And I think that he needs to um, get to, to understand when there were two ministers last time round, one of them quite clearly took an active interest in the foundational economy and what was going on there. So I think there's a personality point that needs to be uh, considered. And I don't know, you know how those cards will, will end up falling. You know, we've we've realised how how on a knife edge how, how our whole economy is. COVID has shown us in sharp relief how how you know, how dangerous stuff is. We we essentially had the UK government pay for uh, Victoria will know the actual percentage, but a huge percentage of the workforce to stay at home and do nothing. You know, so we've had a massive change in what things and and when they were sold to sit at home and do nothing, the place didn't fall apart. You know, so it, it, that's quite an interesting thing. You know, will we start to, you know, I, I mentioned it before earlier on, will we start to have a, an actual active debate about work and the way that and the role work plays in our lives? And, the, and for, for a lot of people, the role that work plays in stopping them living their lives like they, like they should be. How do we make these things part of this conversation? So I'd, I'd, I'd like to see these things in there. They will need to be as time progresses because at the moment what we can't do is disconnect the climate chaos from the growth perspective we're on we, we it is we cannot do it as a society you know the more we grow the more we add damage to our planet so i think there are things that we do need to really get our heads on and if if that's under the cover of this going from 2050 to 2035 in terms of our net zero that will be i think that's fascinating i think that's where a lot of the very very interesting work on the economy could could go victoria are things like a ubi a four-day week and a welsh mccorrell or the sort of radicalism that the, the welsh government should be looking to use in order to solve our economic woes uh, absolutely yes i think we should be looking at as mark said the place of work in people's lives and the fact that for m too many people work is something that they absolutely dread. We interviewed people not long ago who were working in retail, social care and hospitality. And if I used one word to describe their experience, it, it was fear. They lived in fear of being ill. They lived in fear of um, management action being dismissed, having a disciplinary. And their every move in the workplace was monitored by different systems. So it was it was a 
re salutary reminder that um, for working, you know, for people in work, work is pretty grim and tough. So it's not just about hours. It's not just about the living wage. It's also about what work is like while you were there, about your autonomy and management control and power. So we need a conversation about that. We also need a conversation about what's a fair reward from work and how in, in terms of, you know, who gets what in terms of management and so on and so forth. What I see is that we have actually quite a poor quality of debate about the economy and labour market in Wales. Debates in the Senate are often set piece um, events with people from different interests reading out the briefings that have been sent to them by various interest groups. We have powerful business lobbies. They would, wouldn't they? And that's fine. But we don't have enough critical thinking and enough challenge. We try. We're very small think tank. We're six people at the moment and not all of them working on economic issues. But that kind of debate that we need to have I just don't see it happening. I just and, and we need to if we're going to move forward. It might well be, as Mark says, that the challenges of net zero do bring that forward. But who's talking about, for example, what happens if Tata closes? Who talk, who's talking, which would be great for our carbon emissions, absolutely dire for the economy. Who talks about what happens if British Airways goes? Who talks about the, the future of the, the fossil fuel power stations in Pembrokeshire. Where, and it's that kind of debate that we need to be having, and I just don't see it. And we have certain people who are still very stuck in the mindset of a, an old model. I mean, I, I happen to believe that you can have good growth, Mark, rather than growth not necessarily being bad. And we need a level of GDP, in my view, in order to provide all the other pu public services that we, we need and want. But... I just don't see that level of discussion. And it's not, it's made worse by the fact that many of the so-called new economy movement is really fragmented. We've got the, the circular economy lot, we've got the green economy lot, we've got the foundational economy lot, we've got the donut economy lot, and never the twain shall meet. And I think we're really weakened as a result by that. I think I think that's wrapping us up. But Mark, while while we've got you, do you want to just mention Bank Cambria, because that was in the programme for government. And uh, where are we at the moment on that? So, <laughs> so it's progressing. It's progressing well. We're working with a, a third party institution who match the criteria. So they're Welsh based mutual with a banking license who will who are helping us to get this thing over the line. I'm hopeful for an announcement in the not too distant future where they say it's them. Uh, and then it's a, you know, it's a steady then um, program of activity to take you through to a, a launch. But I think it's, you know, we talked uh, earlier about nation building. This is part of that agenda of actually, you know, we, we should, banks at the moment just really don't care. It's without going over old ground, you know, 30% of people in Wales still want regular access to a branch but in many of our locations, they just don't care. And there are overlapping vulnerabilities for those people who want access to a bank branch. So if you're disabled, you're more likely to want it. If you're um, it's suffering from poverty, all of these things contribute to make matters worse. So provision in and of itself of this facility, this public service, which is 
where I think of it. We need it. It needs to be a service. It's a service that everyone needs. is is hugely needed. And the challenge I've got in reality is is we need it now. So the the challenge is to get it to go um, quicker. But you, you cannot. The thing I've learned in in this, I don't think it's difficult. I think the issue is that it's convoluted and protracted. So some of these things take time. But uh, we're close. I'm looking forward to seeing um, my space invader on a, a store near you, Kerry Davis. On that note, thank you very much to both of you for coming on to talk with us this evening. If people want to hear more from you on Twitter, where can they find you, Victoria? I'm on at V Winkler um, and the Bevan Foundation is at Bevan Foundation. Thank you very much. And Mr Hooper? I don't do Twitter. <laughs> Boom, boom. I'm Mark J. Hooper. But I also, if you want to follow Bank Camry, then please do. And also, if you want to follow Four Day Week Camry, and we'd welcome your um, signatory signatures on our petition. Thank you very much. Thank you all very much. Matt, Go before, on. We, before we close, I just wanted to take the opportunity to uh, congratulate Victoria and the Bevan Foundation. I, I think some of the policies we've talked about today have been very much spearheaded for a long time by the Bevan Foundation. And I just I just think it is a welcome move in Wales. And I just wanted to thank Victoria and the team for, for really pushing those over the years. So congratulations, Victoria. Thank you very much indeed. Appreciate it. And on that happy note, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for coming on. If you've enjoyed what you've heard this evening, please do not forget to find us on Medium, I Hear I Blog Cymru, on Facebook, I Hear I Blog Cymru, and on Twitter, I Hear I Blog. Thank you for listening to Hear I. If you like what you heard, Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.